The St Albans Film Guide with Simon Carver, hosted by Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide and uh, I'm here in our new virtual studio with Simon Carver. Hello Simon. Hiya, yeah I like this new studio, it's colours are, you know, so it's been decorated very nicely. <laughs> it's, it literally, it's really it smart. It literally does have a different layout doesn't it and it's, it's, it's a lighter um, colour scheme which, which I it think is. It's definitely, suits, it's suits good. the theme and the style of what we do. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, so um, yeah, th- that's um, yeah, that, that's that's that bit out of the way. So what we do on on the old uh, film guide here is each week Simon Carver <coughs> looks through the uh, list of um, all the free to air TV episodes, picks out the best films, and um, he. Uh, you know, he, he shares with us a, a pick of the day, and because we haven't got a lot else to talk about at the minute, I, I go through a list as well and, and and pick out some highlights. But we do start things off with new releases because the streaming services are putting out new movies at the moment. Uh, occasionally, not every week, but some weeks they they have a new release, and I believe both both of the services that we we um, report on Netflix and Amazon Prime both have new movies out this week. Is that right? They do indeed. Yes. On Amazon Prime, there is a film called Palm Springs, which comes out on Friday the 9th. Um, it, it says here in the blurb, Palm Springs follows carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honour Sarah, who have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding. Things soon get complicated when the pair find themselves unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. And it stars uh, a load of people who, who I, whose names I didn't recognise, and J.K. Simmons. Okay. Um, I don't know. Did you recognise any of the, these names? Um, I, I think I'm with you. I think I recognised only the um, uh, J.K. Simmons. I don't think I, I recognised any of the others. Um, yeah. Also, they sounded a little bit. I don't know. It was sort of like, um, like almost something like um, the, the Wedding Crashers meets Groundhog Day. Well, th- that's that's right. It's not entirely clear. If the un- being unable to escape the venue is a sort of a supernatural thing, or, or whether it's, I don't know, they just keep going back there. I don't know. It, um, so, so what's kind of weird is that the, yeah. what I sent you came from Amazon, and this is an mm. Amazon original movie, by all accounts, mm-hmm. or exclusive on Amazon or something like that. Um, yeah. In fact, it's, yes, it's made actually by Hulu, which is some American streaming service isn't it that we don't get over here yeah but but yeah. on imdb which is also owned by the same people they have a, a, a more accurate description it just says stuck in a time loop two wedding guests develop a budding romance while living the same day over and over again ah uh, right which really does yeah, make that would it, make a, they would make a little bit more sense then, yeah yeah it? So, so it explains it a bit more anyway yeah yes. um and i gather it's already um been nominated for two uh, golden globe awards and uh I think it was considered to be quite popular at the Sundance Film Festival. So, so oh, okay. a bit of hype. Because I have to say, the last one that I, I well, I recommended would be too strong a word. Um, the one where uh, a, a bloke and a girl uh, find that they're both in this Groundhog Day situation. Uh, I watched the first 20 minutes of it and I thought, oh, I can't be doing with this, really. It's not terribly grabbing. Um yeah, so I mean, ho- hopefully this might be better then, in, in which case. Possibly, it's, it's, um, it's got some hype about it. Um, I'd have also just looked up um, the, the star of it, because I sort of re- recognised the name, Andy Samberg, and he's the star of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 
um, if if that's something. Okay. Yeah, I know that. that. I know. That. I'm, I'm certainly aware of it. I've never watched it. I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, I wouldn't know which one he was. Apparently, he's the lead but... guy in it. He's listed uh, first. Um, he's Is Jake. He? If right. anyone ever has watched okay. it. Because it's a bit of an ensemble cast, isn't it? Brooklyn Nine One One. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I would. I wouldn't. You know. There's. Uh, perhaps there is a standout lead person, but it's. Where's not... the bloke in the front and centre of the poster for it? Okay. Fair um... enough. I, I'll check that out afterwards. But J.K. Simmons must be. Uh, I mean, he. He's a. He's a significant person. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. He's. Yeah, he, he's sort of very, very well established by now. Um, yes, he's also trapped within the time loop, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, it does. There is sort of elements of other rom-coms and things, aren't there? You know, Fifty First Dates, and and uh, you know that. Yeah. It does sound like it's 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 rolling a few sort of like old tropes in together, but indeed it does. But yeah, but so it's got a very high rating on IMDb at the moment, seven point four, which is for. Oh. Sounds yeah, for good. A, new, a new movie, and yeah, like I say, it's had a, a lot of hype, um, uh, you know, uh, surrounding it, including two Golden Go- Golden Globe nominations: one for Best Picture, and the other one for Best Actor. Um, but they break theirs into dr- drama and comedy, and this is sort of Best Picture for musical or comedy, and Best Actor for musical or comedy. But uh, there you go. That's Palm Springs. That's one of the there. There are two new releases, I believe, on Amazon. There are. Um, the other one is called Sound of Metal, um, starring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Um, a heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into free fall when he begins to lose his hearing. Um, I, I mean, there, there is more uh, than that to say about it, but that was all in the initial blurb. Uh, there's some stuff going on in it about learning sign language. Um, it's an American film, uh, although the the two stars are both British, I believe. Um, yeah, he, he, Rhys Ahmed plays Ruben, who's the drummer um, in a heavy metal duo, uh, Black Gammon, alongside the singer and his girlfriend. Sounds like the White Stripes, doesn't it? Are they, they're a duo, they? are, they? And, but it's very unclear whether they're boyfriend and girlfriend or brother and sister or both. Y- yeah, yeah, well, this one is definitely his girlfriend. Right. Um yeah, he starts to lose his hearing. He has he, there's issues around cochlear implants and stuff like that. So it, it's it, yeah, it's got, it looks at some serious sort of issues. Let's and say. If, if awards are anything to go by, it's been nominated for six Oscars, uh, a it, Golden Globe, and four Baftas, among other. Things. Oh right, um, right. Riz, Riz Ahmed um, for Best Actor. Uh, it's also had one for. Uh, there's been an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor, Best Picture, uh, Best Original Screenplay, and a couple of technical ones as well. So, so a lot of um, uh, heat around this film. I believe that's what the the, the call mm. kids say. Um, mm. So that's that's the yeah. sound of. Well, it sounds like there could be two decent films coming out on Amazon this week. Yeah, I have to say I watched the uh, the what's that one um, the the Eddie Murphy one uh, coming to America. And again, I, I didn't get very far through that before I gave that up. That had on a it. huge amount of hype, 
and it yeah. just fell rather flat. Deeply disappointing. Yeah, that seemed to be the general consensus on it. But but there are so yeah. many good films and, uh, that, that do come out on the, the streaming services that we have mentioned, and, and a lot of them seem to be getting a lot of Oscar recognition at the minute. You know, the, um, yeah. Mank was one that we've mentioned before with Gary Oldman, and that, that seems to mm-hmm. be doing well. We, we, I'm sure we talked about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think we mentioned that film um, with uh, the final performance of Chadwick Boseman in it and also Viola yeah. Davis. And that's that's yeah. been nominated for Oscars for, for, I think, for both of them and the film. I saw that one at the weekend and it's very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with streaming service releases when cinemas come back out. You know, because mm. it, it, I can't imagine that they're going to ease off. I can't imagine they're going to just sort of like say, "Okay, well, back to you, cinemas. Now you can do all the, the the big new releases." You know, I suspect now that they've started this, they're gonna they're gonna keep going. Well, I guess it'll come down to uh, to finance, won't it? Well, yeah, but but some of these ones they are um, they've been financed by like the Sound of Metal is an Amazon original movie they financed it you know and, mm. and Netflix had financed some of the other ones that we've mentioned before. Um, well, I, th- I guess it will depend on who who who's going to put up the most money to finance it and stuff yeah. like that. Well, also the big studios, I imagine have resources behind them that might equal um, or even eclipse yeah. the, the, the streaming providers. Yeah, although they've gone through hard times, so maybe they won't. Who yeah. knows? Well, be interesting to see. I mean, bearing in mind there aren't so many cinemas now as well. We've got we've lost Cineworld. Yeah, but we? apparently that's coming back. Uh, they, they they went into it? voluntary administration and they're coming out of oh, it okay. again because they're, Fair they're, apparently they're looking to relaunch in this country. Um, but okay. we shall see because you know we're, mm. we're not out of the woods yet. As, as much no, as we might be near. No it, means. But, Okay, yeah. so that's uh, Amazon Prime, and I think you've got one that you're going to mention on Netflix. One more on Netflix, yes, and. Uh, in a world terrorised by supervillains, the film is called Thunder Force, by the way. In a world terrorised by supervillains, one woman has developed the process to give superpowers to regular people. But when scientist Emily Stanton, played by Octavia Spencer, accidentally imbues her estranged best friend Lydia, and this is where you need to be, you know, a bit worried, Melissa McCarthy, with incredible abilities, the two women must become the first superhero team. I mean, that's rubbish, isn't it? They're not the first superhero team. Anyway, now it's up to Thunder Force to battle the superpower of miscreants and save Chicago from the clutches of the king. So it's obviously Elvis has come back again, played by Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. Um, I mean, any film like this that stars Melissa McCarthy, I would be deeply worried about. Yeah. J- Jason Bateman's in it as well, apparently. Jason Bateman's in it too, yeah. I mean, Octavia Spencer's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. But maybe she she might have been sort of pulled down to Melissa McCarthy's level, perhaps. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, when it's when you said about the the first superhero team, maybe they mean the first all female superhero team, which possibly is is maybe a claim they could make for for the movies. But I don't know. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, there was the Who there was, was it was it last year there was the film Birds of Prey, which was another one featuring Margot Robbie as as. Um, yeah, uh, the Harley Quinn, and that was a sort yeah. of a soup. That was a female team-up movie, but maybe they were super villains, or I don't know. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I know that. I suppose they're not superheroes, but I mean, I always think of Batman and Robin as in that sort of. I mean, I think they're not literally superheroes, but they would. 
they're in that same sort of universe oh, I think, type I think of they'd thing, be, aren't they? They'd be very much considered to be superheroes, even though they do not have actual superhuman powers. You know that. Yeah. I, I, I recently watched the, um, the the Zack Snyder version of Justice League, the four-hour movie that's been released recently. And right. um, it reminded me that there's a very funny line in it where the Flash, the, or the, you know, the young lad playing the Flash, turns to Bruce Wayne in, in that film played by Ben Affleck and says, well, what's your superpower? And he goes, well, I'm rich. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, yeah, because Batman. Four hours, though. It, yeah, you, yeah, I didn't watch it in one go. And that was the best bit, was it? <laughs> that was just a funny bit that stood out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was quite good. It, it, it felt like it had more pace than the two-hour version, funnily enough. But it was just long, and, you, you know, I did find I had to sort of take a break. Well, that. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? You talk about a four-hour film, but if you, if you talked about a, a limited series of four one-hour episodes... You'd think that was perfectly reasonable, wouldn't you? Um, and you might even binge watch three of those of an evening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, but anyway. So that those are your um, your new releases on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And what we'll do in a moment, we'll be back and we'll be looking at Simon's choice of films on free to air TV for the week ahead. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for the St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Welcome to the second part of this week's uh, St Albans Film Guide and uh, this is where we look at Simon's Choice of Films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week and I've thrown a few of my own and right up until about an hour ago my list was set and then suddenly I realised that we had the same film but on different days So and it was on different yeah. pages and I missed it but um, I had to then take mine out and find another one um, but uh, the- I was rather pleased with mine this week actually if I say so myself yeah well I, you know as is often the way you you, you you often get to the better films before I can get to them and then and then I, I have to pick sometimes mm. the best of what's left um, but uh, but my list uh, it was well it just seemed to me that after discounting many of the films you've chosen all that was left was predominantly films with either um, Sylvester Stallone or Roger Moore there seemed to be a lot of okay. films by both of those people on this week and in fact my list now has three Roger Moore films on it um, Guns of Navarone no was he, oh, right. was he in that was he not in that I, uh, oh, now you've got me thinking. I'm not sure if he was in it or not. No, perhaps he he ought to have been in it. I think he was going... Uh, do you know what? I think I read something about this the other day. I think he was going to be in it, and the author or somebody had a say over who should be in it, and they didn't think he was right. And Edward Fox might have got the part that um, okay. Roger Moore was going to have. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, um, but no, not that film. Um, so uh, let's start off though with uh, Friday the 9th of April 6.50pm on Film 4 Simon your first choice is Suffragette yeah uh, I didn't realise this was so long ago this came out six years ago um, when I saw it it was an incredibly powerful film um, it, it it's a fiction it takes some fictionalised 
characters um, uh, alongside Meryl Streep playing Emmeline Pankhurst in the, uh, the, the, the the leading up to the votes for women and leading up to the uh, the suicide of somebody who threw herself in front of one of the uh, the king's horses at the Derby. Um, it it starts in London. Uh, There's escalating civil disobedience, which is fascinating at the moment when we see these people um, protesting about um, not being able to protest, basically. Um, and, and and these women were doing stuff that just as bad or worse um, over a hundred years ago. Uh, Carrie Mulligan plays uh, a laundress, so sort of quite a working class character. Um, uh, Anne-Marie Duff plays her colleague and the local posh ringleader is Helena Bonham Carter. Um, one of the the, the, uh, the, the the most powerful elements to it, I felt, was the relationship between um, the, the the women and their husbands and, and the, the lack of power. I mean, this is not just about power to, to vote. It's power in all sorts of ways and quite extraordinary, really. And um, I was going to say these things happened so recently but you know i realize it's over 100 years ago now but you know it's still it's still relatively recently it's just in the last century so and, yeah. and then you good, know very good film. as you're saying you know you, you can then look at look at sort of some of the things that are happening right this minute and you sort of wonder sometimes have, how far have we really come well quite you know that you, you'd like yeah. to think that we're we're a more evolved society now but sometimes you think actually we've not come that far um no but uh, but yeah as benny Elton say a little bit political a little bit political um <laughs> But um, yes, quite. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that'll be the last we hear from, from your Ben Elton this week, but but anyway, thank you for that. Um, so, um, suffragette, six fifty p.m. on film for a film which I think in and of itself was a little bit political. Um, anyway, my choice for um, Friday because because you pinched one that I was later in the week that was also on on Friday night. Um, so um, I've gone with a film that I've not seen, but it, and in fact I've not even heard of, but it just sounded really interesting. Uh, and so over on Film 4 at 2.05am, so actually into Saturday morning, but we have the film Franklin from 2008. Alternate, alternative worlds collide as the fates of four lost souls are intertwined across parallel universes. A man searches for his son in modern-day London. A masked vigilante pursues a murderous cult leader in the gothic metropolis of Meanwhile City. An artist's obsession with suicide takes a dangerous turn. And a heartbroken man seeks a route back to the purity of his first love. Fantasy drama starring Ryan Philippe, uh, Eva Green, Sam Riley, Bernard Hill and Art Malik. And I, I just thought that sounded. I, I thought I'd never come across that film before. But, but either interesting or bonkers. It's, it's hard to know which, isn't well, it? Yes, I mean it. It could possibly walk a fine line there between them. Mm. But mm. but um, the cast alone that made me quite interested in this. I thought, you know, Art Malik, Eva Green, uh, Bernard Hill. You know, th- th- these are all quite interesting um, um, characters. And and yeah, I'd never come across this film before. And it wasn't from that long it's ago. Not, it's not one I know. I have to say. How long ago? When was it made? Uh, 2008. So it was, it was about a year or so before we started doing this. That, that maybe that's why. Yeah. yeah. We'd have heard of it otherwise, yeah. obviously. Yeah, we'd have talked about this, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But particularly with that cast. But uh, but yeah, it, Susanna York's in it as well. Uh, um, it's got very interesting sort of British cast. I've, I've recognised the name Ryan Philippe, but what's he been in? So uh, Ryan Philippe, um, he was in... Um, 
uh, he, he was it Cruel Intentions was the first thing I saw him in, which was the the um, the modern day adaptation of Dangerous Liaison. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he, yeah. he's also in uh, Gosford Park and Crash, uh, and I think he is or was married to Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Um, I see he was also in an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine. So everything, you know, it, 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 it's all sort of it all comes around in. It all, it all comes back. Yeah, yeah. apparently he divorced from Reese Witherspoon in two thousand and seven. Oh, oh, he didn't tell me. Um, he sent them cards every year. Anyway, but the, yes, so uh, so yeah, he, he's he's in there. Um, he was in Damages as well on TV for a while. Okay, um, I don't recognise him. I have to say. Yeah, he he's. Yes, yeah, so he was like one of these sort of like young, hot young actors of like the early noughties. and uh, mm. and yeah, now I guess he's just just more of an average middle aged actor. Mm. Um, yeah, he's forty six now. Yeah. Oh dear, he's very old. Yeah, very old. Uh, Absolutely. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, the film there, Franklin, uh, is on um, two o five a.m. in the wee small hours of Saturday morning. But that's my choice for Friday night, um, uh, uh, Friday the 9th of April, and that's on Film Four. So um, let's go to Saturday the tenth of April, and Simon has chosen nine p.m. on Sony Movies, Enemy of the State. Yep, uh, directed by the late Tony Scott with a central performance by Will Smith. Also got Jason Robards in this as well and John Voight and Gene Hackman. So you've got, you know, class uh, act, uh, class set of actors there. Yeah. What the story's about is an incriminating tape revealing the murder of Congressman Jason Robards accidentally ends up in Will Smith's possession and he finds himself therefore relentlessly pursued by corrupt John Voight I mean, presumably that's his character is corrupt. It's a bit, bit unreasonable to call John Voigt corrupt, but anyway. And his posse of electronic trackers. Um, young Jack Black is there. I, I mean, I suppose Jack Black was quite young in 1998, but anyway, he seems to have been around for ages. And they use spy satellites, transmitters, and all manner of undercover gizmos to trace him. Only retired spook Gene Hackman can help the increasingly desperate Smith to survive. Um, the Fugitive Meets the Conversation, which was also Gene Hackman, I believe. Was that not true? The Conversation uh, yes, Gene Hackman? Yes, it was. Yes, Gene Hackman. Yes. So um, he, he's sort of almost resurrecting that part from the past. Anyway, um, great action movie and, uh, yeah, quite an interesting idea. It all seems a bit sort of... This is all pre... No, it's not pre-Facebook, but it's you know it's in the early days of the idea that we're all being watched, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and, and I think this is a very early chance for Will Smith to show that he was a bit more than just you know action and comedy. Fresh Prince. Well, yes. well yeah, I think you know at this point he'd have done that, and I think he would have done Bad Boys and then and the Independence Day. But but those right. sorts of things wouldn't have necessarily stretched him. Whereas this was a bit more of a dramatic role, and 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 he wasn't being. Will Smith, you know, he was actually having to act, and this is the, you know, perhaps an early example of, of of that. You know, plenty of examples of him doing that since. You know, he he he's mm. put in some very critically acclaimed performances on occasions, but um, but yeah, th- this was this was a, a cracking thriller, and it's one of those films I forgot all about it until I saw you list you listed it, and then I thought, oh yeah, that's a really good film. Mm. It is indeed. Yeah, who'd have thought it? So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Simon's picked a good one there. 9pm on Sony Movies, Enemy of the State. That's Saturday the 10th of April. Um, I've gone for a very different film, 11.50pm on BBC One HD. And it's um, it's classed as a science fiction film. Um, but it's it's really more of a post-apocalyptic one, which I think is your sort of thing, isn't it? You like some of those sorts of things? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. this is. I don't know if this is one you're aware of or not, but it's called Zed for Zachariah. And no, don't know this okay, one. Okay, a, a woman lives alone on a farm that belonged to her family in the aftermath of a nuclear apocalypse, believing herself to be the last survivor of the human race. Her simple life is disrupted by the appearance of a second survivor, and they adapt to working together. But the arrival of a third individual threatens everything they have built. A sci-fi drama based on Robert C. O'Brien's novel starring Margot Robbie, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Chris Pine. And um, it, it's it's a very claustrophobic feeling film, given that the landscape is sort of like runs forever. You know, you, you, you're seeing this sort of great, open, empty land. Um, mm. and, 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 and yet because because for so much of the film there's just only in fact for the first part of the film there's just one person in it and then and then a second one comes along and then for a good chunk of the film there's only two people in it and it it's because of that it feels a bit claustrophobic and then suddenly a third person comes along and it messes up the you know it sort of upsets the equilibrium somewhat yeah um and and then there's something of a love triangle going on as well between between the three of them um, but it's yeah, but it's based on a book um, that, that, that apparently is quite popular in sci-fi circles. Although the book didn't really touch upon a love triangle because in the book there was only two of them. Right, it's, it is difficult having a love triangle with just two people. Yeah, yeah, as much as they tried. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, good performances by by all three um, actors. Yeah, Chris Pine is somebody that I think is. He, he always looks like he could be better than he is. Um, you know, he, I know you're not exactly a big fan of his, and, and I don't know if I go so far as to say I'm a big fan, but I think he has potential, and I think sometimes you can see that he's quite good at, in places in some of his films, and in other places it looks like he's just relying on the fact that he kind of looks like a leading man. I just think he looks a bit sort of smug. Um, there's a certain sort of smug look about him, you know, which is fine when he's playing Captain Kirk, who is a bit sort of pleased with himself, but um, yeah, um, that's just me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, but, but but yeah, he he's he's quite good in this. Margot Robbie's very good. You know, she, she's the sort of central character and she carries the film quite well. Um, she looks very unglamorous in this as well. So so oh, okay. she, she doesn't have that to fall back on. Uh, and Chua Telejufor, I think, is 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 a pretty fine actor in whatever he does, and and he plays quite a, a, a character that you don't feel that sympathetic towards. But but um, but yeah, it's great scenery as well, great setting. It the, the movie I believe is set somewhere in America, but um, yeah, it, it says here it's supposed to be set in the Appa- Appalachian Mountains. Is that how that's pronounced? Maybe. <laughs> I know that it's Appalachian. It's Appalachian. Mis- it, it's very easy to mispronounce it, but I can't remember what the right way around is. But it's one of them. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, we know what yeah. you mean. That's fine. But that's where it's set, but it was filmed in New Zealand. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, and apparently it was a, uh, previously adapted by the BBC, uh, and they did it as a TV um, series uh, or, or a, a play for today, I think, or something like that. And uh, yeah, yes, it was a, a play for today from 1984, starring Anthony Andrews. 
Um, okay. Uh, but set in Wales after a nuclear holocaust. Oh, anyway, that's um, Z for Zachariah, an interesting little film. And that's uh, 11.50pm on Saturday the 10th of April on BBC One. So we move to Sunday the 11th of April and 2.55pm on Talking Pictures TV, we have the um, the original film version of Rebecca. We do. Um, this is uh, Hitchcock's first Hollywood film. Uh, it's produced by David O. Selznick and uh, it's based on, uh, well, it's an adaptation of Daphne Moray's novel. Um, it, uh, it's got Joan Fontaine. Oh, yeah, my, my, my step-grandfather's cousin. So, you know, very much almost just, a relationship. I was, I, was leaving that, I was leaving a space for you to tell your, your story. Um, uh, Laurence Olivier is Maxime de Winter, and uh, jo- Judith Anderson is Mrs. Danvers, the... Uh, uh, very sort of e- evil-looking Mrs. Danvers. Fascinating uh, story, and uh, um, uh, the, the the voices in this are, um, are, are wonderful. If you if you know those sort of voices that you get in um, Brief Encounter, very similar uh, to, to that in here. These sort of clipped English voices. I mean, Laurence Olivier is masterful. Um, in, in this uh, yeah great, great film okay yeah it was um, uh, there was a, a remake of this last year that, that was made by Netflix but, but enjoyed a brief yeah. cinematic um, uh, yeah. release and uh, it had some I mean it, Lily James was pretty good as as um, Mrs. De Winter and Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers was particularly good but Army Hammer is no um, Laurence Olivier I'm afraid it was so. a bit weird yeah um, it was a bit it weird. It looked I, I, sumptuous and beautiful, but it, it, it yeah. lacked a lot of... It was very much style over substance. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm afraid it was. I mean, this is this is this was the good one, yeah. I think. That's 2.55pm uh, yeah. on Talking Pictures TV, Rebecca. Uh, so the first of my Roger Moore um, fest for, for next week uh, is, is on. Mm-hmm. And this is one I've not seen. So I, I, it's been on like a, a, a to-watch list for a while now. Um, but this is... A, a, Sunday the 11th of April 3pm on BBC2 Escape to Athena now so it's something about going to a poster shop and buying a picture of that tennis playing female who's scratching her bottom is that the yeah could be or it could be about a Greek island Um, and yes so it says this Second World War allied POWs incarcerated on a Greek island plan to defy the SS by breaking out of prison and pulling off an art robbery with the help of their liberal minded camp commandant action adventure with Roger Moore David Niven Telly Savalis Elliot Gould Stephanie Powers and Claudia Cardinal and um I mean, the, the first thing that strikes me there is, is you know, quite quite the cast. Um, you know, for, for the late seventies, I think you know, have Roger Moore, David Niven, Elliot Gould. I mean, they're, they're, they're quite, you know, three sort of heavyweights there, and Definitely. and Telly Savalas as well would have been what half the back of Kojak, I guess, at that point, late seventies. Yeah, Kojak would have been earlier than that, wouldn't it? So yeah, yeah. yeah so he was a big, uh, a big star at the time. Yeah, and, and Stephanie Powers. I'm guessing this is just before Heart to Heart, but I don't know. If she she was kind of known before that, wasn't she? She was the girl. F- I would have thought. She was the girl from Uncle so. in the sixties. Yeah, and she was been in Bond films as well, wouldn't she? I don't think. Well, so. everyone was. No, I don't think Stephanie well, she Powers not. was. No. Oh right. Um, mm. Passed over. <laughs> yeah, cruelly overlooked. 
Um, yeah. Robert Wagner's real life wife was. Maybe that's where you're getting confused. Jill St. John. Uh, oh, and undoubtedly. Well, yeah. Jill St. John and Stephanie Powers, there's not a lot between them. They're, they're, they're similar looking women. And one played his like on screen wife and one was his real wife. And his, his right. real wife was a Bond girl. Maybe okay. that's where you got confused. That, that would be it. Yeah. yeah. And in Claudia Cardinal, I've got a feeling that she's like a name that I recognise, but I couldn't. I don't think I can pick her out of a lineup. She's yeah, she's sort of a European glamour actor from that era, isn't she? Long dark hair, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. <laughs> wasn't a wasn't a huge <laughs> leap of of uh, deduction. No. I mean, she's a ta- she presumably she's Italian. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, she was in um, the Pink Panther, and she was in a few other '60s and '70s things. But she's still going, and she's still she's still making stuff. But uh, but, okay. but yeah, um, she was in um, uh, Jesus of Nazareth in the '70s as well. She played the adulteress, okay. whichever Lovely. character that was. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah uh, anyway, uh, Escape to Athena. Um, I, I, I saw a picture that had Roger Moore in an SS uniform, and it, it looked sort of comical. But um, so clearly he was the camp commandant, and in this movie, but I, I couldn't yes. tell you anything more. And never was he more camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, have you have you seen it? Do you know the film at all? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't know it. Right. Anyway, it's, it's some sort of. I'm not a great. I, I'm. I don't mind those sort of old, well, relatively old war films, but you, you um, pick quite I'm, a few I'm, of them. I'm not an aficionado of them. Let's oh, put it like that. You do often pick them. I do. It's probably because there's nothing better on, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, Escape to Athena, 3pm on Sunday the 11th of April on BBC Two. Let's move to Monday the 12th of uh, April. And this was the film that I had chosen on the Friday before realising you picked it on the Monday. I guessed it probably yeah, was. 9pm, Sony Movies Classic, An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, terrific. Um, scary and funny and... Uh, gory as well brilliant special effects um i mean we're talking a film that's 40 years old now but the special effects were fantastic the way that um the uh, the the main character sort of uh, does this metamorphosis into the, the the werewolf is is brilliant um david norton and griffin dunn play these american students who are attacked by werewolves on an english moor um up in yorkshire it's you've got um, um, Rick Mayle is second chess player in the pub where they go which I think is the slaughtered cow or something like that it's slaughtered something anyway that is the pub they go to and it's one of those things where everybody looks round it goes silent when they walk in everybody looks round at them you know it's a sort of classic trope Um, Brian Glover is there do you remember Brian Glover? oh yeah 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 Yeah, bald um, northern English actor that's it and former uh, wrestler as well um, and, uh, and and when I, I was I don't normally look through the, the the casts on IMDB but there was um, John Altman is there uh, John Altman is that name ring a bell uh, yeah yeah that's Nick, Nick from EastEnders yeah, yeah I was going to say that's Nick, Nick Cotton. Cotton isn't it yeah yeah from EastEnders he plays a policeman in this um so anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's directed by John Landis, and it's funny. It's it's it, it's quite uh, scary, and it's yes, yeah, great story. 
yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it it, it really is um, uh, quite yeah. It, the way that it balances the horror and the comedy, and it it kind of does them separately. You know, the, the horror isn't comedic, so you, you sort of you're scared by the horror bits, but then there's other bits that are quite funny. And I think the 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 way that it sort of has one foot in both of those genres um, and does it so well, I think I think really works for the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, that's um, that's nine pm on Sony Movies Classic. Uh, great. Um, also, um, oh, it's Jenny Agatha, wasn't it? It was the the female oh, in it. Was it? <laughs> was it ever? Yeah, definitely Jenny Agatha was in this. So you didn't mention her. No, I didn't mention her. I know, I know. I, I didn't want to be too obvious. But yes, the wonderful Jenny Agatha is in this <laughs> before she became a nun in Call the Midwife. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's um, American Werewolf in London, 9pm on Sony Movies Classic. Uh, and that's Simon's Choice for uh, Monday the 12th of April. Um, earlier in the morning, 11am on Film 4, I have chosen the 1966 feature film debut of the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds are go. International Rescue is called in to save the first manned space mission to Mars from sinister hijacker The Hood and ensure a second attempt goes to plan puppet adventure based on Jerry Anderson's TV series featuring the voices of Shane Rimmer, um, Sylvia Anderson and Cliff Richard voicing a puppet version of himself albeit that the Thunderbirds were set about 100 years in the future but he's in there with the shadows uh, and they, they play in a bar on a space station at the end of the movie there are so many things one could say but I won't <laughs> okay <laughs> but um, this was so this wasn't like um, some um, examples of the era where, where something that was a TV thing was was basically like stitched together and released in the cinema. You know that that was something. Sometimes they would take like a two part episode or something, and uh, and put it on the big screen. That you know th- this was made as a feature film after the TV series ended, and the production quality of it really stood up because it was such a well made TV series. You know the. The, 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 the production values that went into it it was made by some of the best filmmakers in the world at the time who were all British filmmakers you know Pinewood was was kind of like the centre of, of filmmaking and a lot of the people who worked on the Thunderbirds TV series worked on Bond films and, and things like that and and certainly putting it up on the big screen it, it stood up technically and, and the story worked quite well and it was it was popular enough that they did another movie um, Thunderbird 6 was was I think a year or two later but wasn't as good as this but, okay. but this is you know great fun for all the family although I did watch this with with, uh, with um, some children not that long ago and they were a little bit bored by it it wasn't quite as action packed as, as, as a it's funny isn't it that, that things have become a lot more crash bang wallop now um, I mean I, I think I probably went to the cinema and saw this when it came out and because I really loved Thunderbirds when I was a kid, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was they were they were really well done, you know. Um, well, the, the way they were written as well, they were very much not written for children, you know. The, the, and it was I think that was part of its 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 sort of charm was that you know it was they they were telling sort of like kind of you know grown up adventures, but with puppets. So the puppets mm. angle made it interesting for children, but I think the fact that it was done in a in a way that wasn't um, playing down to children, I think, made it made it more entertaining for adults as no. well. They were simple, you know. The stories weren't complex, but um, they weren't 
yeah, they weren't juvenile. No, no. Um, um, and and yeah, and you know, it, it transferred very well to the to the big screen. Um, and I can only imagine what that must have looked like uh, to be in the cinema and watching Thunderbird two taking off. You know, and the noise of the engines and seeing it up on a up on a massive screen as opposed to on your your small television set. Yeah, that, that must have been quite a thing, especially if you were a child of the sixties who who enjoyed that sort of thing. Yeah, and you know, and of course, TVs in those days had tinny sound and were much smaller yeah. than TVs nowadays. So, and would have been black and white. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose it would have been. It was made in colour. Yeah, um, but it would have been shown in black and white. Well, it was one of the things uh, of the those days. Was it Lou Grade who who ran ITC, who made Thunderbirds and made other series of that era. Um, it, he insisted that that these British series were made in colour, even though. I don't think ITV were, were broadcasting in colour till the very late 60s. And I, I don't think the average household had a colour TV until the early 70s. Um, it, no, it was BBC Two was the first channel that showed colour. Right. Um, and there weren't many programmes that it showed. High Chaparral was one, I remember. So I, I had an uncle that um, worked for uh, Thames TV and he always got TVs, you know, the, the latest models and all that. And... Uh, I remember going around to his house and, and seeing this colour TV and thinking, you know, it was uh, incredibly impressive. But the only thing you seemed to be able to watch were American shows. Yeah. Uh, like, like the High Chaparral. And the colours were... Well, if, if you watch those sort of shows now, you, the colour is not very natural. It's quite sort of um, fuzzy. Uh, and, yeah, so it, it did seem different. I, I still remember my granny to this day saying she was never going to get a colour TV because black and white looked far more natural. <laughs> I just think the way she must have looked at the world. <laughs> but, but, but yeah. yeah, I mean, yes, it, it, it's a thing that I guess people today just wouldn't, couldn't really imagine it. But, but certainly... Kids of today, they wouldn't believe no, no, it. No, no. But, but it, was, it was quite visionary for British TV of the 60s to be made in colour, knowing that most televisions of the time in Britain wouldn't have been able to see it. But it was sort of looking ahead, thinking that, well, one day they will be able to and will be able to appreci- appreciate this more so. Um, and, and also it was to sell it to foreign markets because in America, colour TV had been around for a while. And and that was the other thing that, that Lou Grade sold an awful lot of British TV to America, but he could only sell it to them if it was in colour. So went and right. spent all this extra money on making the Avengers and the Saints and Thunderbirds and all those types of series were, were all made in colour. So some of those, the early ones, were black and white, but the but most of the time they were they were made in colour for for an international audience. Mm. Anyway, there mm. ends the uh, TV history lesson for now. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thunderbirds are go 11 a.m. on Monday the 12th of April on uh, Film Four. So let's move to Tuesday, the 13th of um, April, and you've chosen a, another really good film. And, and, and um, I applaud you for this, not least because you've actually chosen the remake rather than the original. And I completely agree with, with you that I think this is arguably the better film. Um, you've gone for the Man- Manchurian. Is it Manchurian? Mancurian? Well, I think it's Manchurian. I think that's how you pronounce it in this context. Okay, the Manchurian Candidate is the film. Yeah, Jonathan Demme directs... Um, the the remake of of the film that was made originally in 1962 with uh, interestingly Frank Sinatra playing the lead role uh, in those days um, the now it is Denzel Washington playing it and the story is that um, it that a uh, 
Uh, I'm just trying to look what the story is here um, amongst all the various notes. An intelligent and chillingly believable tale of brainwashing, exploitation and political corruption. It relocates the military conflict at the heart of the story from communist Korea to the first Gulf War in Kuwait. Um, yeah, Denzel Washington plays a tormented US Army major who unwittingly becomes the key to a complex political conspiracy. Uh, Lee Schreiber is in it as well. Um, and uh, he plays a former sergeant who becomes a vice presidential candidate. Meryl Streep is in it as Lee Schreiber's unscrupulous senator mother. Yes. Yeah. Crikey, playing Lee, Sh- Lee Schreiber's mother. That's a, that sounds about that's right. That's quite tough, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it does. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing he's about my age. And Meryl Streep must be in her 70s. I suppose so. But, I mean, this is 17 years old, this Yeah, film, but they'd but still have the same age gap. They would still have the same age gap. That's very well spotted. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm sharp like that. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking up now to see how old Lee Shriver is. Um, he might be a little bit older than me. I wouldn't have thought he's much older. Um, it says here that he is... Um, he's born in 1967, so he's 54 this year. Well, so he's a bit older than me. Okay. But I'd imagine Mel Street must be in her, in her 70s. Yeah, probably well into her 70s. Yeah. Well, it's it's very good and um, it's quite confusing. <laughs> I remember watching it and thinking, yeah, quite sure what's going on here. Um, uh, but it was, yeah, it's good. Right. Mel Street, 72 this year. Oh, so the age gap is only 18 years, so yeah. um, not... But it does work. Not wonderfully. And, and, yeah, it does yeah. work. It does and, work. And she could I, be know, playing I'll, I'll older, and he could be playing younger. Indeed. Um, I'll, I'll let it oh, go. I'm sure they'll be pleased to hear that. Anyway, that's the that's the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. 11.05pm on Five Star on uh, Tuesday the 13th of April. My choice. Now, I didn't even know this was a channel, but apparently on Freeview, there is a channel called PBS America that's that's very oh, yeah, deep yeah. somewhere in the numbers and mm-hmm. uh, they have a documentary film that they that they've got on tuesday the 13th which i saw a little while ago and it's called i am your father and it's a documentary exploring the difficult relationship between david prouse and lucasfilm due to what the actor perceived as a snub over a scene in return of the jedi so, so right. david prouse um was was quite famous in the uk i don't think he particularly was anywhere else but he, he, Green Cross Code, Green Cross Code Man. Yeah, yeah. So he played the the Green Cross Code Man on television, on, on TV adverts for road safety, and he was also in a lot of other um, British TV and and low budget British cinema as well, because uh, he was a big big guy and and was a British bodybuilder, and um, and then he got cast in Star Wars, and he played Darth Vader, and you know he played the villain in Star Wars, he, and and so he was suddenly one of the most his character that he portrayed was one of the most recognised characters probably on the planet and uh, and yet all the way through the Star Wars films no one ever saw his face and not only, or heard his well, voice yes so it even t- this documentary touches upon this because he didn't know that they weren't going to use his voice apparently until he was sat watching the premiere at Leicester Square seeing the, the film and then suddenly thinking that's not my voice and, and he didn't know that they weren't going to use his voice. And, and it was the voice acting was um, James L. Jones, who was used to, to do his voice. And uh, and so already it would seem David Prowse felt somewhat snubbed. 
and, and also you never saw his face. And then in the final um, of the original trilogy films, Return of the Jedi, there's a scene right at the end where Darth Vader is unmasked and they don't use him. They use a different actor just for that bit where they take his mask off. And, and there's just like one line, I think, right at the end when his mask comes off and, and it wasn't him. And, and it's apparently um, George Lucas was very hacked off with him over a perceived um, leak of, of information to the press. And because of that, he didn't call David Prowse in that day for shooting and got another actor to put the costume on and do the one line. And, 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 and since that film, David Prowse had never been invited to any um, Star Wars convention that was an official Star Wars convention. He, he was banned from them. Uh, and so most of these actors who were in Star Wars, who were actually kind of like poor English actors who, who weren't particularly famous, they used to make their, their sort of, you know, their, their basically their pension fund was going to these conventions and, and telling people all about how they played the third stormtrooper on the left or how they had a rubber you know, some sort of uh, rubber mask on over their heads and things like that. It, and would talk about their tales of working with the famous people that were in Star Wars. And and yet, you know, arguably one of the most famous characters out of Star Wars, the actor, was never invited to these things. And uh, and yet, so this catches up with him. The, the documentary's from about six years six years ago. And, um, and David Press died not long after that this was um, made, I believe. I think he died a couple of years ago. He died in 2020. Oh, oh okay, as recently as that. Mm. But, but yes, yeah, so what the, 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 the filmmakers do is that not only do they talk to him and talk to other people at the time and try to work out what it was that he had seemingly done that had put him so out of favour with Lucasfilm, but then they actually offer him the chance to go back onto a film set and put the costume back on and refilm that final scene and so he got a chance to film it but um, but Lucasfilm wouldn't allow that footage to be used in the documentary so you don't get to see it at the end of the movie but but you do get to see an audience's reaction to it where it gets shown and and his reaction to the audience seeing him finally play the part and and say his one line that he did have without his mask on um, it sounds very incredibly petty, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I mean, the, 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 it would seem that it was felt that for many years that he was the le- he was leaking to the press all the time about what was mm. going on in the movie and, and ruining sort of key plot points. And um, and he swore blind that it wasn't him. And and in the end, they kind of tried to put to rest once and for all whether it was him or not. Um, but through interviews with other people and and what have you. But but it's interesting how they. And, and, and the filmmakers were, you know, children at the time who were big fans of this and, and, you know, seeing their passion as they go and track him down and go and find the other people involved and, and in, catch up with these people and try to get to the bottom of what happened. It's, it's quite interesting if, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, I know you, you couldn't care less about Star Wars, but I, I imagine... Not really. I mean, it's the sort of thing that you, you could imagine listening to in a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the sort of thing that a podcast might... Yeah, but no, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's very interesting. Well, there's a few documentaries knocking about about the other people in Star Wars, about some of the key people in Star Wars who who never went on to be anything, given it was like one of the most successful films of all time and and you know huge franchise. But because with the exception of like Alec Guinness and Harrison Ford, most of them were relatively unknown and never really went on to anything. Harrison Ford wasn't incredibly well known, was he? Not it? before it, but it became a, no. sort of a superstar yeah, yeah, at the back yeah. of it. Um, mm. But but 
what's always I've always found interesting is that the ones who who were sort of particularly well known and famous from that series never really wanted to go and do any of the fan conventions or wanted to go and um, you know didn't even want to talk about it on interviews. You know, apparently, rather famously, Harrison Ford wouldn't do any interview on on TV for years if they mentioned Star Wars. It was it was written into the thing that he wouldn't talk about it. Um, and then you know you had other actors there who were desperate to talk about it because it was that was their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, their bread and butter. Well, yeah, isn't quite. It? Um, mm. But uh, but anyway, I am your father is the uh, is is the documentary film and it's on PBS America Tuesday the 13th of April 8:35 p.m. So let's move to Wednesday the 14th of April and I'm really surprised you've chosen this because I didn't think this was your 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 bag at all. Well, it's it's not really. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So it's the very last Harry Potter film um, on at 6.35 on ITV2 on Wednesday. Um, it, it was one of the few that I've actually seen. Um, I remember I reviewed this for another uh, radio station and uh, I thought it was a really powerful, really powerful film. It, it was, it was a, a, a lovely way of finishing it up, I think, the, the whole the whole story as it happens I heard a reading last night of the the very first chapter I think it was the first chapter of the first Harry Potter book in one of these new adaptations that well, I say new a, an adaptation in in Scots language so sort of Scots dialect and and using Scots so that's what, words like as well just drunken and slurring and, and aggressive well it, it, do, it does sound a little bit like right. that it must be said which works very well for Hagrid yeah. Um, and um, who is, of course, played by a Scots actor. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was great fun. And uh, it, that's partly what encouraged me to pick this today. But no, I think this is it's, it's a good film. I guess you have to know a little bit about what's been going on before, but I came to it fairly ignorant. I think I'd seen part one. Um, but I, I might have seen one other of the films, but yeah. I mean, I didn't have a lot invested in it. But I still felt, in my notes here, it says packs an emotional wallop. Um, and it does. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I, would, I would imagine that if you're completely new to the Harry Potter franchise, going in at the part two is, is possibly not where you want to begin the Probably experience. not, no. But, but it, and I, I, I'm saying this as someone who is also not really a fan of these films, but they are incredibly well made. That the, 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 everything about them is done to, to, to the highest possible standard. You know, great um, sort of effects, set design, uh, production values, wonderful performances from the young actors involved, and the supporting cast of some of the finest uh, British actors out there. You know, all, all, all these great. Um, you know, you, Michael Gambon's in there. You got Maggie Smith. You have um, Alan Rickman. Um, you know, you, you've got all, all these all these greats that that are sort of like just peppered around the the, the, the story it, it, you know used to to wonderful effect um, so you know they are they are very good and 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 the quality never diminished in the making of these you know that it, it seemed they set the bar high with the first one and they and they kept it going right the way through to, to this one um, and now of course there's this spin-off series isn't there the, the fantastic beasts movies yeah um, but yeah, that's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which is Simon's choice for Wednesday the 14th of April, 6.35pm on ITV2. 
My choice uh, for Wednesday the 14th, um, going back to 10.30am on Talking Pictures TV, is the second appearance of Roger Moore for the week. And this is um, The Fiction Makers, which is um, the first big screen adaptation of uh, his TV character, The Saint. So um, Roger Moore was was the saint for the most of the 60s on, on British TV, uh, but they made two of the episodes, two, they made two movies based on two two-part episodes and this was one of them and, and this was also something of a of a bit of a trend in the 60s that um the man from uncle that which was the american um spy series that they often put two-part episodes together and released them in europe and they actually did really well in the box office uh, you know and given how inexpensive it was to do that you know it was a great return for the for the film studios because these these the footage pretty much already existed and um, yeah. and yeah that they would shoot some extra footage to pad it out slightly uh, give it a different title release it in Europe and make a load of money off of it and and they timed it rather well to release these things when there wasn't a Bond film around to just sort of cash in on on the whole um, 60s spy thing without actually having a Bond film sort of impact its box office takings and and I'm, I think that the makers of The Saint thought oh we're going to get in on this as well and so the, the first um, of two movies they released one in 1968 and one in 1969 the first one was The Fiction Makers and um, the, the, the outline of the story is um, international thief Simon Templer is hired by a book publisher to protect one of his most valuable and reclusive female writers. However, the charming rogue's new assignment leads, leads to him and his charge being kidnapped by an evil organisation who have modelled themselves on characters from a novel and want the plot of their next heist to be written. Uh, adventure with Roger Moore, Sylvia Sims and Justine Lord. And and it's, it's a really good... Um, story and it, it's a good little adventure and and you know the fact that there's this um th- th- this writer this this famous writer who nobody knows who she is and when when they get kidnapped they all believe that simon templar is actually the writer and the woman with him is his assistant when in fact the woman with him is the writer and 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 her creation of this this sort of criminal um super team who go and you know rob banks and things it's like these people have modeled themselves after that so all of her characters are there before her and they're all saying like you know they're waiting for more work basically they 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 want her to write the next novel so they can they can then enact the next crime and do the next thing and and and, but but they don't realize it's her so they're pressuring the saint to come up with the next story and they're trapped in this country house and being made to to come up with with the with the next heist for these super villains to go off and yeah, commit right. and it quite meta yeah yeah and it's all a bit silly and it, in fact it's very meta because it starts off with them being at a film premiere where they're watching the latest adaptation of her work and so like they've gone to see the premiere of the latest sort of spy movie that she's well, the spy book that she's written that's been adapted into this big screen thing and uh, mm-hmm. and so he's there actually and, and, and Roger Moore because also one of the things he used to do as the saint was at the beginning of each episode he would talk directly to the audience he'd break the fourth wall and he's, he's saying about how boring these films are and how predictable they are and he goes oh look what happens now you know the you know a villain's going to creep up and surprise him but no don't worry he'll get out of that and say oh you know how boring and and he's kind of lampooning the, the Mm. You know the film that we're, that we as the audience are about to watch, mm. Mm. but but you know Roger Moore does it with his own sort of charm and and you know it, it it it's quite good. So if you've never seen The Saint before and you're sort of interested, this isn't a bad place to to, to try it out. Um, 
So that's The Fiction Makers, which is 10.30am on Talking Pictures TV. And, and also, apparently, despite the fact that this was this had already been on TV in this country, it was released on the cinema in this country, and it did reasonably well. And I, I'm surprised by that, that people didn't... They went to see it. I think it was it was on in the cinemas some months after it was shown on television. You sort of think... Big screen, maybe. Who yeah, knows? yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they didn't shoot any additional footage for it. They, what they mainly did was they shot it as a movie, and then they shot an extra scene for the television version to be able to break it into two parts. So there was a, right. an extra introduction for the second part that mm-hmm. they filmed. But anyway, yeah, the, the Fiction Makers, um, Wednesday the 14th of April, 10.30am on Talking Pictures TV. And that takes us to Simon's final choice, Thursday the 15th of April, 11.40pm uh, on ITV4, Rocky. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not, not much more to be said about this. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's um, big shot at uh, success in the cinema, uh, as well as his character's big uh, uh, shot at success in the boxing ring. Uh, triple Oscar winning. Um, I, I, I always used to think that Stallone had directed it, but uh, he didn't. Um, but he did write it, and uh, he's very good in the role. He's made for it this sort of no-hoper, Rocky Balboa, uh, up against the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed, who's very, very like Muhammad Ali would have been at the time. Um, he, uh, Stallone got nominations for acting and writing, but he didn't actually uh, get an Oscar for this. Um, but terrific film. I mean, I think everybody's going to have seen it already, but, you know, you might want to watch it again. But, but it's actually quite possible that maybe people haven't, and also that they may not be aware, they might think they've seen it. You know, it might be one of those things where they feel mm. they've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, I was speaking to somebody recently who, who mentioned this movie and had not seen it, but they said, yeah, I know, but I've seen it, haven't I, really, without seeing it. I would have, I would, I'd have seen all the different clips over the years, the different training montages, the fights... And, and I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what do you think happens at the end? And they got the ending wrong. And I said, well, that's, you know, it, it's worth it's worth watching because it it isn't quite where you think it's going to go. But it's, it, it is, I mean, largely speaking, I think people know what, what it's about. And it's about, yeah, this, 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 this sort of unknown fella who suddenly gets the chance to be, um, you know, go up against the heavyweight champion of the world. Hmm. But there's, there's a great film that works as something of a companion piece to this that came out um, some years ago called Chuck. And it starred um, Liv Schreiber, who we mentioned earlier, who played the, the real-life guy, um, Chuck Wepner, who was the inspiration for Rocky. And um, Chuck Wepner was, was a, what would you call him? Was it like a journeyman? Would that be the name? Yeah. And he was this, he was a professional boxer, but he wasn't very well known. Um, he, he was never really going to um, shake the world with his boxing um, and then Muhammad Ali put out a challenge for any professional fighter to have a go if, if they wanted to. He, uh, at the time, Muhammad Ali was saying that there weren't enough, there, there was no good competition out there for him, that he was undefeated, you know, no one could beat him and there was nobody that was worthy to step into the ring. And, um, and Chuck Wepner basically said, all right, I'll, I'll have a go. And, um, and, and rather famously went the distance and went to a split decision. Decision. Which, um, you know, so he didn't win, but he got way further than many bigger, better fighters had got against Ali. Um, and what I didn't realise, because I knew all of that about how Rocky and, and one of the people in, in the in the 
um, arena that night of that fight was Sylvester Stallone, who then went off and a few days later had the first outline for the film Rocky, um, basing Rocky on Chuck Wepner. But what, what I didn't realise is how much other stuff from Chuck Wepner's life that Stallone borrowed, because he went on to have a big um, exhibition fight with Andre the Giant, who was a big American wrestler of the time. And, yeah. and in yeah. fact, there's footage of Andre the Giant holding the boxer up above his head, like, you know, completely lifting him up and then throwing him out of the ring. And in Rocky 3, the same thing happens where Rocky goes up against um, Hulk Hogan. And, and in fact, even the same thing where Hulk Hogan picks him up like that and throws him out of the ring at one point. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of parallels that, 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 that Stallone used and then it would seem that, uh, that there was legal action and eventually Chuck Wetner got, got sort of financial recognition for the mm. fact that Stallone had used this. Anyway, that's not really about Rocky, but it was just about the inspiration behind Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, wonderful film um, and a great uh, performance from um, Burgess Meredith as his, um, as his yeah, coach. As the, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's that's the original Rocky from 1976, 11.40pm on ITV4. Uh, my final film for the week, 9pm, final Roger Moore outing, and really because I felt there was nothing else on on Thursday night that you hadn't already picked. But uh, I've gone with Live and Let Die, the first um, of his performances as James Bond. And um, the story is, is that James Bond investigates the murder of three British agents that, and it leads him to a connection between the dictator of a Caribbean island and the notorious Harlem drug kingpin, along with a plot to flood America with limitless supplies of free heroin. Um, and Roger Moore with uh, Jane Seymour and Yafet Kato, who I think recently died. I think it's... That rings a yeah, bell. Because yes. he, he was in a few other things as well. He was in um, Alien and... He was in the TV cop series, um, Homicide Life on the Streets, and he, I think he'd done other he things as well. Um, but, but yeah, he, he was um, yeah um, he was the villain in uh, Live and Let Die, and it, I thought it was a pretty, and not for the first time perhaps, it's a, a, a pretty inventive of the Bond film producers to um, make such a contemporary film because at the time, the early seventies, suddenly there was this big black exploitation movement in cinema and so they sort of like you know they sort of like um built into that somewhat they, they tapped into it and and cast a lot of people who were in those black exploitation films at the time including Yafet Kotto and um and 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 cast them in this movie and set this movie in Harlem and and gave it a black exploitation feel but with with this this very very white English guy in the middle of it all um but but it, but it worked and and um, you know it it uh, it was um, you know it made for quite an, an entertaining film in the end. Mm. Yeah yeah no it's it's there's some some nice scenes in it. Um, uh, quite yeah. a memorable yeah, boat yeah, chase it, toward the end. With- yes, and um, lo- lots of sort of um, sort of voodoo sort of stuff going on in it as well yes, as yes. Uh, I seem to remember yeah, yeah the, the, the villain was sort of using a lot of um, sort of the the, sort of the, the people in yeah. his superstitious beliefs against them and yeah, yeah. there's a sort of Haitian sort of feel to it isn't there I don't know whether it's actually 
set in Haiti, Haiti or a, in a sort of it's fictional... It's a fictional Caribbean island, but yes, it's, yeah, it, yes yeah, there is a, it has that feel to yeah, it. Yeah, and Jane it? Seymour is this, this like Haitian princess, vo- voodoo, yeah. prin- Haitian voodoo princess who, yeah, who yeah. couldn't be any more white and English than, um, than Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. So interesting casting mm-hmm. for her. But, yeah. but nonetheless, uh, quite a good, quite a good adventure, and and also it was. I was, I was reading something recently where Roger Moore was particularly worried about this movie because he was worried he was too old to play Bond because he was forty seven when he started playing James Bond, and and he thought he would be too old for this, and he didn't think people would take him seriously, and 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 he was worried that he was just making a massive mistake and that it was going to haunt him for the rest of his career. And, and apparently he he he, he wrote um, a, a diary at the time that, that was quite a popular book that, that chronicled from the moment he got the phone call to tell him he was going to be Bond up until the day of the premiere of of the, that first Bond film and he, and he chronicling all of his you know um, adventures on set. But he said that he t- just after he got the call, um, he uh, took his son, who was about twelve or so at the time, to a restaurant in London, and his son um, was saying to him, um, "Oh, you know, Dad, do you, do you think you could you could have that guy over there in a fight?" And and he said it, uh, this was a thing that his son was sort of quite fascinated by this at the time, and would always say, "Oh, Dad, do you think you could have that guy?" And what about that guy? And and so Roger Moore kept looking around when he was pointing at these people, and he said, "Do you think you can have that guy?" He said, "Oh, yeah, of course I can have him. You know, I'm, I'm quite healthy and young." And and eventually, then he said, "But what if James Bond came in here, Dad? Could you have him?" And and he goes, well, son, I've told you, I'm, I'm going to be the next James Bond. And, it, and apparently his son said, no, 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 not you. What if the real James Bond came in here now? What if Sean Connery walked in? <laughs> and, he, and he said he realised at that point, if he couldn't even convince his own son that he was going to be James Bond, he, he, he felt he was he doomed, was in trouble. but he'd already signed yeah. a contract and he couldn't get out of it. And anyway, there you go. Live and Let Die, 9pm, ITV4. And that concludes the film guide for another week. So, um, Simon, uh, I always ask you this, but which of those films would be your film of the week? It's tricky. Um, I think I'll go for an American Werewolf in London. You might. Okay, I'm going to go with the Fiction Makers because of all the films I've chosen, I think it is it's the one that I've seen that I think it is least likely that anyone else might have seen. Also, I had a look earlier, and the artwork for the poster is quite interesting. So I just thought that would look good on the cover. Go with that. So yeah, I'm going yeah. with that. Um, Tell us about Sunday morning, because you're back on Sunday with the Dagnall Street Baptist Church virtual service. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to looking at um, the scene that slightly precedes the scene where uh, Thomas asks to see the hands and feet of Jesus after the resurrection. Um, there's a the, the little bit before that when, because the reason he asks Thomas asks this is because he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. He was out somewhere. And we, we can speculate, but we don't know where he was. Um, and when he comes back, the others say, oh, we've seen Jesus. And he says, pull the other one. And and, and, and and so we're looking at the scene when Jesus first came, when Thomas wasn't there. So that's that's Sunday. Um, we've got a bit of Lionel Richie um, uh, singing for us. Well, he's coming in especially. Um, yeah, he's coming in especially, yeah. And uh, we've also got our, our second YouTube, um, Messy Church at Home service which is going to be fun okay. and um, we'll put the link to that in the description again yeah. as well so people yeah, who yeah. Um, are listening to the podcast could, could tap on that and then they can they could also watch the uh, the youtube video um, great well simon thank you very much for that you're and, welcome uh, yeah we'll be back doing this around at the same time next week take care